And for those people who walked an average of 68 minutes, that's one hour and eight minutes a day, just walking, they had a 74% lower risk of developing type 2 diabetes. Hi, and welcome to the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast. I'm Tom, and I'll be your host as I share what I'm doing in my daily life to solve my type 2 diabetes. Listen in as I share the food, movement, and tools that I'm using each day. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only. For a full transcript or to follow the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast on social media, please head over to SolvingType2Diabetes.com for all those links and more. Now, on to the show. Well, thanks very much for joining me here again. I'm glad you're able to listen in to another episode. If this is your first time listening, thank you very much. I hope you subscribe and are able to enjoy a lot of the other episodes that we have. I'm going to ask you a favor here right off the bat. I'm going to ask you to please share this episode with someone that you care about. If you could share this episode this week, that would mean a lot to me, and I would greatly appreciate it. Well, it's been another fine week at home, and we are getting ready for some upcoming travel. In a couple of days here, we're going to be going up to Promised Land State Park. That's in the Pocono Mountains, northeastern Pennsylvania. And we're going to be camping up there in a little cabin. They call it a rustic cabin. So for me, that means no air conditioning, no TV, no internet. And I happen to know we barely get any cell signal there at all. So that's pretty darn rustic in my book. We will have electricity and there is running water and there's a a normal bathroom so it's not all gloom and bad news so that'll be a fun week up there camping getting in a lot of good walks up there and there's a nice lake so we'll have a lot of fun it's a huge family event my wife's family has been doing this for about the past 60 years and they really enjoy it and now we take up maybe I'm gonna say about half a dozen cabins and maybe 10 or 12 campsites at the state park so it's a big family event that'll be a lot of fun this past week I have gotten in some good walks both here in my local neighborhood and also out on my Lebanon Valley Rail Trail that I enjoy so much it's funny I call it my rail trail but it certainly is not mine but I like to use it and have good times out there getting in nice long walks in the woods this week my wife made some meatloaf which was really good a favorite of ours that she made was bacon, onion, Swiss cheese, quiche. A quiche is a baked egg dish. That's really good. If you've had quiche before, you know what I'm talking about. If not, maybe go give it a try. Also, we had some of our white chicken chili, which is absolutely delicious. We really enjoy that. I just finished up the last of that for lunch today, as a matter of fact. If we take a look at my numbers for this week, I have been able to close my rings six out of seven days, and that's good. I enjoy closing those rings. Those are my Apple Watch fitness rings. It tracks your number of hours where you had some standing in each hour. 
uh, and I have mine set at 12 hours. I usually get like 14 hours where I had some standing during each of those hours. And then I also track total calories burned through movement and also number of exercise minutes. So I was able to track all those this week and close them all six out of seven times. My seven-day average glucose reading was 118. That's a little bit higher than I normally have it, but still below the pre-diabetes range, so I'm happy about that. 118 average for this week. My body fat percentage is hanging right in there at 21%. It's been there now for, I guess, a couple of months. My macros this week, over the course of seven days, I've averaged 92 grams of carbohydrates each day, and I averaged 136 grams of protein each day. With regards to my Manjaro update, it's basically the same information as before with one notable change. Now, I am still on the 7.5 milligram dose. It is still giving me outstanding A1C control. It's giving me great control over hunger and having those so-called food thoughts all the time. Eating and food have certainly taken a, a back seat to many other things in my thinking and my daily activities. And that's usually, I think, because of the Manjaro. But one big change has been the cost. Now, something happened with either the manufacturer rebate thing they have or my insurance. Something happened. But up until this last refill, I have been paying a $25 copay. And I never tried to use the manufacturer's coupon. I have a feeling maybe the pharmacy was applying it for me. I guess they have access to my health records. They know I qualify with type 2 diabetes and therefore qualified with the manufacturer's coupon. But I've been paying $25 a month and very thankful for that. Well, something has changed. I think the manufacturer's coupon has reworked and it's no longer just $25. Now it's a certain amount off of your health insurance copay. So I now pay $250 a month, which really took me by surprise. When I went in there, first of all, they wanted $500, $500, which is my insurance copay. And I just, I, I was flabbergasted. I literally just walked out. So I went back in two days later and I said, hey, look, there's got to be something we can do here. And they said, well, have you ever actually applied the coupon? And I said, no. And so I downloaded that and they ran that through. So then that worked with my insurance, but it only brought the cost down to 250. Now I know if you're paying full retail price, 250 is, a, is still an incredibly good deal. But for someone like me who is used to paying $25 a month, ever since I started this back in, I guess, December, it's been about eight months now. $25 a month going up to even $250. Well, that's a tenfold increase. So I got it this time. And I have to be honest, I don't know quite how long I'm going to continue to get the refills. But I did get one more refill. I said at $500, I was not doing it. So at $250, I got a refill. And it's not enough to last to my next doctor's appointment. So I'm going to have to make a decision here as to whether or not to get another refill. But we'll see. I have enough now for five more weeks 
So we'll see how that goes. Anyway, that's my Manjaro update, taking money from me. But it certainly does work, so I'm happy for that. For my challenge and win, well, this week we had National Ice Cream Day. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. I think it's a U.S. thing. But we had National Ice Cream Day. We have a national day or week or month for absolutely everything. There's probably a National Rubber Band Day, for all I know. But anyway, it was National Ice Cream Day, and my wife wanted to celebrate. So we had all of her local siblings and spouses over. I guess there were about nine of us all together. And, well, two, four, six, yeah, there were nine of us all together. And so we had everybody over for ice cream sundaes. My wife had bought several types of ice creams and all the toppings you could want. And everybody sat around and for about three hours and just talked, chatted, caught up with each other and had lots of ice cream. So that was certainly a challenge. I love ice cream. I mean, who doesn't? And we had butter pecan, which is my favorite. But yeah, so that was a challenge for me. Now, I participated. I had some ice cream. I had some butter pecan. I put some peanuts on top. I really enjoyed it. Now, I didn't go in for any of the syrups or the caramels or the hot fudges or anything like that, but I had some ice cream. I had a good time. I enjoyed it. And being able to participate, not having to overdo it and not think about it again, I'm going to call that a win. All right, well, let's look at the news. Got some interesting articles here. Some of these are new information. Some of these are reminders and refreshers for us. But this first article here is entitled, What is Insulin Resistance? So insulin resistance is the body's inability or hesitation, if you will, to utilize the insulin that you have in your bloodstream. So if you have type 2 diabetes, you still are producing a certain level of insulin. Whereas with type 1 diabetes, you produce no insulin. Type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disease where your body sort of attacks itself and the cells in your pancreas, the, the beta cells, I believe, they stop working. They stop producing insulin. And this usually happens most often it happens to kids maybe in the 10 to 13 year old range somewhere around there that's typical when they're diagnosed and they could lose all kinds of weight because they're unable to store these carbohydrates that they're eating they have seriously high blood sugar levels 400 500 to where they could almost be going into a coma it's very very serious and of course then they have to start taking insulin injections and then they manage that as a lifelong chronic condition. Whereas with type 2 diabetes, you are still producing insulin, at least some insulin, and you're just simply not utilizing it. You've had such high blood sugar levels, mostly from eating a lot of excess carbohydrates, a lot of simple sugars, and you've had these high, high blood sugar levels for so long, which causes your body to just continually pump out more and more and more insulin, 
to where your body almost ignores it and it is no longer being effective. And so that is what insulin resistance is. That's what we try and solve with medications, with lifestyle changes. And by solving this insulin resistance, we can allow our body to again use the insulin, use it more effectively to store these carbohydrates, put them into muscles, put them into your liver, things like that. A combination of then eating less carbohydrates also makes it easier to utilize the insulin that you have because it's not a constant battle. You're not asking your body to constantly pump out more and more insulin because you're really cutting back on the amount of carbohydrates you eat. And insulin is, generally speaking, released into the bloodstream when you eat carbohydrates, especially when you eat a lot of carbohydrates. So this is a good article. talks about what is insulin resistance. It's a good refresher for us. But it's important information to know if you're dealing with type 2 diabetes or prediabetes. Insulin resistance is often one of the big culprits in what's causing the symptoms of those diseases. All right, this next article here is a real good one. I thought it was interesting. It's entitled, Socks Off Seeks to Ward Off Ontario's High Rate of Diabetes-Related Foot Amputations. So this is an article evidently in Ontario, like probably a lot of other places, but here this study was done in Canada, or this program rather, was based in Ontario, Canada, and they're calling it Socks Off. And what that basically means is, hey, in a primary healthcare setting, when you go in to see your doctor on a routine visit, the doctor should be taking your socks off. Well, maybe you can take your own socks off, but basically the doctor should be examining your feet because there's a, a really a, a rising number of foot amputations. And of course, that starts with poor blood flow, Maybe you don't have the nerve sensations in your feet anymore, so you injure your foot. It doesn't really hurt because you don't have those nerve sensations anymore. But because of that, things just might get worse and worse and worse, and then infections set in. And once you get infections, then it could these little cuts and blisters and cracks or calluses that are made worse by poor circulation because you're not getting your good white blood cells down there to repair the damage. It builds up until the point where people have to get amputations. So it's a simple program, simple plan, but what they're trying to implement is, especially for people who maybe have risk factors for developing type 2 diabetes, maybe they're overweight, maybe they do have high blood sugar readings, but to take their socks off, to actually look at people's feet during these doctor's visits, and they said they could catch things much earlier than instead waiting until things get severe. So, good program. I have a feeling that would be great for everybody to do. All right, this next one, and we've heard this before, but it's entitled, Doing This Daily Thing Can Reduce Your Diabetes Risk by 74%. Now, what is that daily thing that can reduce your diabetes risk by 74%? Well, walking. I love to get out there for a long walk. And this study says that, and they, they divided it up. They have different groups. They had one group who walked less than five minutes a day, one group that walked up to 25 minutes a day, one group that walked up to just over an hour a day. And for those people who walked an average of 68 minutes, that's one hour and eight minutes a day, 
just walking, they had a 74% lower risk of developing type 2 diabetes. Now, it could be these people were doing other things that were very good for them. They could have been eating better. We'll never know that detailed information, but there's certainly a correlation between those people who are walking an hour a day getting a much lower, a 74% lower risk of developing type 2 diabetes. I mean, that's significant. That's real. And we also know that, of course, if you do have high blood sugar, if you do have type 2 diabetes already, that your walking will help burn through some of that sugar. It's also just great for your health. Getting outside, getting that motion in, getting that movement in is just, generally speaking, great for your health. All right, let's look at this last article here. Ooh, this one might make us happy. Diabetics can enjoy alcohol, quote, in moderation. So, wow, there you go. We can have alcohol. And I think we all knew this. We talked before about how alcohol will delay a blood sugar spike, but it doesn't prevent it. It just makes it wait a while. When you drink alcohol, the first thing your liver does, and it again, it's, it's because alcohol is toxic. So the first thing your liver does is go to metabolize that. In fact, it'll stop metabolizing blood sugar that you've already have in your system, things you've already consumed. It'll stop that. It'll put that on hold and go to primarily metabolize the alcohol to get rid of that first. Well, what that does is it makes you have lower blood sugar because your liver is not putting that sugar into your bloodstream. So it makes you have lower blood sugar in the short term. But then a few hours later, as soon as your liver is done metabolizing your alcohol, it does go back to metabolizing the sugar. And then so you do still get that sugar increase. You just get it later on. So again, this says that you can safely uh, drink alcohol in moderation. And this particular article says that for men, that means not to exceed two alcoholic drinks a day. For women, they say one alcoholic drink a day. I think that's probably because of average body size. Uh, it's probably based on body weight. But one or two drinks a day, they say, is not going to cause you any significant adverse effects with regards to your type 2 diabetes. Now, of course, alcohol is toxic and it does have other side effects that you might not want. So I thought those were some interesting news articles for this week. Hopefully you enjoyed those. Let's talk about the topic for today. Now, I've been corresponding with a listener here a little bit, talking about caffeine and the listener. It's, it's not really a single question, so I don't really have a question to read. But they suggested the topic of the impact of caffeine, specifically from coffee or tea, in solving type 2 diabetes. What impact does caffeine have? And this person seemed to believe that caffeine, especially caffeine in green tea, could actually reduce your blood sugar. So I didn't really know much about this topic at all. So I did a whole lot of research and I found out, well, I did searching on the web is what I did. When I, call, when I say I did a whole lot of research, what I meant was that I went on Google and typed in some things and read what some of these articles had to say. So I'm going to link all of these web pages on the show notes, and there are a total of five web pages here that I'm going to be pulling from. 
some from Mayo Clinic, some from NIH, and some just from commercial sites. And I have to say that one of these sites was a site that sold tea, so of course they might be biased. But something I didn't know is that the caffeine, the thing we call caffeine, is not a single substance, but it's just a series of phytochemicals. Now, phytochemicals are chemical compounds that come from plants. In coffee, there's five different phytochemicals that we classify as caffeine. So they affect our nervous system. They can cause jitters, racing heart, things like that. What's interesting is these specific phytochemicals in coffee are metabolized very quickly. So generally from coffee, you get a rapid spike followed by a crash as the, as the coffee, the caffeine is done being metabolized in your body. Whereas tea has three phytochemicals that we call caffeine, and they're more supportive, according to this article, of the endocrine system. They stimulate the adrenal gland, the adenoids, and the thyroid, and that can actually help increase metabolism while the tea is working in your body. Also, the caffeine phytochemicals in tea, now we're not talking about herbal tea, we're talking here about uh, black tea, green tea, things like that, because herbal tea does not contain caffeine. But the caffeine in tea is buffered by theanine. You can look that one up, T-H-E-A-N-I-N-E which causes the caffeine to be metabolized much more slowly, much more evenly. So the spike and crash, so to speak, from caffeine and tea is drawn out and buffered over a much longer period of time. So it's not as rapid. So it does, I didn't know this, but the, caffe the things we call caffeine, it's not just a single substance, by the way, it can be a whole range of various phytochemicals depending on where the, the caffeine in the cocoa plant that makes chocolate is slightly different from that in tea or coffee. Anyway, I didn't look into that one too much. but So that was interesting to learn. The second thing that I thought was interesting is that green tea has different effects than black tea. So black tea has been slightly fermented, it's been roasted, whereas green tea has not. And the polyphenols in green tea, again, polyphenols are like an antioxidant. They're in all plants, but they're different. And the polyphenols that are in green tea are different because in black tea, when you roast that tea, you can destroy some of those polyphenols. So in green tea, you have much a greater supply of polyphenols that have been maintained throughout the, the preparation. So that can reduce oxidative stress. It can cause your, your arteries to dilate, to become wider and, and softer. It can decrease blood pressure. It can help with clotting. So there's a lot of things that these polyphenols can benefit you with, and they're more available in green tea than they are black tea. So it does appear that tea might have more of the phytochemical benefits than coffee does, and then green tea even more than black tea. 
But I did look at three different sites here to talk about blood sugar and caffeine in general. So this is not broken out tea versus coffee. We just discussed that. But this is just caffeine in general. And it seems to be two different effects. The first, if you're young, healthy, you have normal blood sugar, having caffeine up to 240 milligrams or so of caffeine each day, which is about maybe two strong cups of coffee each day, can actually lower your blood sugar. Now, there's conflicting thoughts on why this is, but the fact is that if you're healthy, if you're young, if you have normal blood sugar, it can have a positive impact on your blood sugar. It can actually be one of the factors that might slow down or delay getting prediabetes or getting type 2 diabetes. However, if you already have high blood sugar, let's say you already have type 2 diabetes, caffeine, according to these articles, and again, they're all going to be linked here in the show notes. I should say web pages, not really articles, they're studies. But caffeine can have a different effect if you already have high blood sugar. And again, the reasons are not yet clear. There has not been a tremendous amount of study on this. But generally speaking, they believe that if you already have high blood sugar, the caffeine is going to be metabolized differently. One of the reasons is because of your insulin resistance. And it can actually slightly raise your blood sugar. So it's possible that someone who has type 2 diabetes can recognize a blood sugar increase. And here it says up to 8%. So if your blood sugar was maybe 120 before having your coffee, it might be up to 130, let's say, because of having two strong cups of coffee. Now again, this effect only lasts as long as the caffeine is active in your system. Once that has been metabolized, that effect seems to go away. But it can cause some of this increase. Now, 8% is not a tremendous amount. If you have, if you're me, if I have two pieces of toast, let's say, or heaven forbid, I put a little bit of jelly on that toast, my blood sugar will go up much higher than 8%. So this is not a, a driving factor. Don't think that caffeine is the cause of your type 2 diabetes or anything like that. But you could, if you're having a CGM, if you're wearing that and you're monitoring your blood sugar constantly, you could notice a spike after having just the coffee. Now, what's interesting is, you've heard me talk about in the past, the dawn, D-A-W-N, the dawn effect, and what that does, that typically can raise your blood sugar even more than 8%. But you combine those two things together, and that could explain some of these early morning blood sugar spikes we get if we are coffee drinkers. So I thought that was very interesting. I thought that's some good research. Like I said, I'm going to link all those studies and articles. There's five in total. I'll put those in the show notes. I'll put those after the news links. And if you're using a mobile device, if you've ever tried swiping left or right while you're playing the podcast or scrolling down, perhaps, there's dozens of different podcast players in the market right now, and they all act slightly differently. But you can see all the show notes 
typically speaking, right in your podcast player. And if you didn't know it, I also put chapters in these podcasts, and you can skip directly to your favorite part of the podcast. Maybe you like the news. Maybe you like the topic of the week. Maybe you like to hear about my numbers or my Manjaro update. All those are chapters in this podcast, and you can pick and choose what you listen to. Maybe you don't have a full 30 minutes to listen to the entire podcast, but you just want to get the news real quick, or maybe this topic is of particular interest, and you want to hear about that, or you want to hear about how I dealt with National Ice Cream Day in the Challenge and Wins. You can certainly do that. Now, if your podcast player does not show you the show notes, first of all, you might want to consider getting a different podcast player. I happen to use Overcast. And I got to tell you, I, I used to use Apple Podcasts, and this is not a sales thing. I get no money for this. I get no money for anything. But I love Overcast. Overcast to me is a really great podcast player. You might just want to check it out just for the fun of it because it shows you the chapters. It shows you all the show notes and all of that right in the podcast player. Now, if for whatever reason you don't get any of that, or maybe you don't have a mobile podcast player, you can also go to the website, solvingtype2diabetes.com, and each podcast is there with the full show notes and the full audio podcast itself. And you can even download it off that website if you want to and keep it on your local computer if you like doing that. Well, it has been about 30 minutes here since I asked you last time. So please don't forget to share. Please don't forget to share this podcast with someone that you care about, someone who you think could really benefit from it. And I certainly would appreciate that. All right, well, let's get to your questions for the week. We have a comment. It's not really a question, but it's a comment that I'm going to be happy to read, and I certainly like getting comments like this. They really make my day. As you know, I don't have any sponsors. I don't have any income being generated from this podcast. So the fact that folks take the time to write in like this really makes my day. This is from Addie, and Addie writes, I just want to thank you, Tom, for all of your podcasts. I learn a lot listening and taking those advices in my daily life. It helps me deal with my type 2 diabetes. I wait every Monday to listen to the new podcast. Thanks for taking the time to share all you're doing. Well, thank you, Addie. I really appreciate you writing in. Like I said, you made my day when I get these. I got one of these types of comments last week from a guy named... Tom, and I certainly appreciate that as well. So yeah, keep them coming, folks. Let me know that if you're enjoying this, let me know if you're getting stuff out of it. You can suggest a topic, like this week's topic was suggested. You can ask a question, provide some podcast feedback, all of that. There's two easy ways to do that. The first is just send me an email, tom at solvingtype2diabetes.com. That's my email address. Or if you want, you can also go right over to the website, solvingtype2diabetes.com, click on feedback and fill out that little form. Suggest a topic for an upcoming episode. Suggest improvements I could make. I certainly am very happy to listen to that. Okay, so what is next? I think I've talked about this a little bit in the past, but I do use protein supplements as part of my eating plan. Almost daily, I would say, I have something that's in addition to, I'm going to say, normal food, whole food, that supplements my protein. I would have to eat a very large amount of meat 
to get in all the protein that I want to get in. And sometimes I get tired of eating meat. But if I can have something that's yummy, especially if it's chocolatey, and it has 20 or 30 grams of protein, hey, I'll be happy to reach for that. So I want to talk about protein supplementation that I do in my eating plan to solve my type 2 diabetes. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast. I hope you found it valuable. Please follow and leave a five-star review as it helps other people find the podcast. By subscribing, you ensure you won't miss the next episode. You can always get a full transcript of the episode at SolvingType2Diabetes.com. There, you will also find the links to leave feedback and links to follow on social media. I'm very interested in hearing from you with comments and suggestions. Thanks very much for listening. Please remember that everything I share is just from my own personal experience and should not be taken as medical or health advice. Please consult your own medical professionals. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only.